The first reading is found in 1 Peter, chapter 1, which is on page 1217. 1 Peter, chapter 1, beginning at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. That ends the first reading. And the second one is from Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, which is on page 1061, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. <clears throat> There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told him what had, ha told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Peter, for bringing our reading this morning. And as we come to God's Word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that your written Word of Scripture may now and always be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and your greater glory, our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. On an Easter day many years ago, Ruth and I had the privilege of being in Jerusalem and we got up very early on that Easter day so that we could go to the garden tomb to take part in a sunrise service. And although it's extremely unlikely to be the actual tomb where Jesus was buried after his crucifixion, it is a first century tomb so when you're there, it is possible to imagine what the scene would have been like on that first Easter day. And as we approached the tomb in the chilly half-light of that very early morning, we tried together to picture what had happened and the emotions of all those who would have been involved. After all, they had been through so much and there was still so much more to come. So early on that first Easter Sunday morning, as soon as the sun rose, as we've heard the women of the disciples' group went to the tomb of Jesus. They took spices with them to anoint the body and complete the burial. And when they got there, they found that the stone had been rolled away in front of the tomb. And in amazement, they wondered what had happened. They were utterly and totally dumbfounded. And then they were met by angels who gave them the staggering news, He has risen. And then the angels reminded them of Jesus' own words to them, early, as Luke tells us earlier in that chapter. 
The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day he raised again. And then they remembered. As we would say, the penny dropped. Something clicked. And they weren't the only ones who had their eyes opened that day. For in this lovely story of the walk to Emmaus, which you'll only find in Luke's Gospel, we see the Lord in one of his very few resurrection appearances, making himself known to these humble, quite unknown disciples. For Cleopas, who is only mentioned here, and his unnamed companion, being unnamed, it was probably his wife, So it was good to be out of Jerusalem that sad Sunday afternoon. And all the friends of Jesus were still shaken and desolate after what had happened. After all, it had all been done so quickly. The betrayal, the midnight trial, and then the cruel death. And they talked of nothing else all that weekend. After all, what else was there to talk about? And in small groups, they would have tried to comfort each other now that their master had gone and all of their hopes had been dashed. And then early that morning, they'd heard from the women who had found the empty tomb that Jesus had risen. But no one knew whether it was true or not. No one knew what to believe. For their walk, Cleopas and his companion would have left the city by the western gate and followed the Roman road on the way to the village of Emmaus. And as they walked, what after all, what a nice thing to do on a pleasant Sunday afternoon. They would have encountered other people enjoying the afternoon air, chatting about their different concerns, enjoying the view, But they had only one thing to talk about, only one thing in their hearts and minds. Their heavy hearts brought them over and over again to talk about Jesus and what might have been. And why did God allow him to die so horribly and so young? About a mile from Emmaus, two roads met. And as the companions walked steadily on, deep in thought, heads down, a man fell in step beside them. And he asked them what it was they were discussing that made them look so sad. And Cleopas turned to him in utter astonishment. Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And you don't know the things that have happened in these days. Because for them, it was so utterly common knowledge, it would have been a topic on everybody's lips. Well, what things? asked this stranger. Well, all about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. A prophet strong in what he did and what he said, in God's eyes as well as the people's. From their words, it's obvious they had a great respect for Jesus as a man of God, as they refer to him as a prophet. But after his death, 
they were reluctant to refer to him as the Messiah. Haven't you heard how our chief priests and rulers handed him over for execution and had him crucified? Although the crucifixion was carried out by the Romans, they put the blame for what had happened squarely on the Jewish rulers. And they had hoped that he was the one who was to come and set Israel free. Free from the bondage of Rome and their occupying forces. And to usher in the kingdom of God. And that's why for them the crucifixion was so devastating. It wasn't just that Jesus had been the bearer of their hopes and he was now dead and gone. It was sharper than that. If Jesus was the one to redeem Israel, he should have been defeating the pagans, not dying at their hands. After all, for them, Jesus had promised redemption. And these last three days hadn't felt very redeeming. And low as they felt, and sick at heart with grief and disappointment, there was something about this stranger which made them want to confide in him. As their thoughts now turn to the events of that morning, and they begin to tell him about the empty tomb. They single out what they've learned from the women about the empty tomb and the vision of angels. They do not say who went to the tomb to check, but the plural suggested it was more than one person. And the women's story had been verified. At least as far as the empty tomb went. But these two conclude sadly, him, and there is strong emphasis on this word, him they did not see. Apparently those who went to the tomb had hoped to see Jesus but they did not. And this threw doubt onto what the women had said. Having listened patiently, it was now the turn of the stranger to speak. Aren't you failing to understand, he said to them, and slow to believe in all that the prophets have said? The root of their trouble was the failure to accept the whole of biblical prophecy. They had no doubt seized on the prediction of the glory of the Messiah. But it was quite another thing to take to heart the prophecies that pointed to the darker side of his mission, like the suffering servant in Isaiah. For this means that the passion was not simply a possibility which may or may not happen, it was essential. Written in the prophets as it was, it had to happen. The Christ must suffer, but he must also enter his glory. God is not defeated. He triumphs through the sufferings of Christ. And he began to explain to them the teaching of the Scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. What a Bible study that must have been. And the picture we get is of the Old Testament pointing to Jesus in all its parts as a consistent divine purpose is worked out. A purpose that in the end meant and must mean the cross. Cleopas and his companion had, like all of Israel up until this point, been reading the Bible 
the wrong way round. <coughs> Excuse me. They had been seeing it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But in fact, it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. The whole Old Testament story pointed towards a fulfillment which could only be found when God's anointed took Israel's suffering and by implication the whole of world's suffering onto himself, died under its weight and then rose again as the beginning of God's new creation, God's new people. This is what had to happen and now it just has. Because Cleopas and his companion had wrong ideas of what the Old Testament taught, they also had wrong ideas about the cross. <coughs> By this time their journey had taken them to Emmaus. And Cleopas stopped outside the house where he was to stay. And the stranger was about to walk on. But they persuaded him to join them. After all, it was already nearly evening, and so the three of them went in to supper. There at the table, the stranger took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and passed it to them. And in that moment, they recognised him. It may have been the nail marks in his hands or the sound of his voice, but it seems more likely to be in his familiar actions. Suddenly and beyond all doubt, they knew that it was Jesus. And even as they knew him, he vanished and was gone. And looking at one another in wonder, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? There was now only one thing to do, However difficult or dangerous the journey at night, they had to get back to Jerusalem to tell the others. And he even left their meal lying on the table unfinished. They walked round the seven miles back to Jerusalem in breathless excitement. And there they found the disciples rejoicing in the fact that the Lord had appeared to Simon. They hadn't believed, prepared to believe the words of the women, but ha, Simon Peter was different. If he said Jesus had risen, the Lord was risen indeed. Then Cleopas and his companion told the disciples what had happened to them and of how Jesus had become known to them by the breaking of the bread. And these simple yet profound actions of Jesus help us to bring to mind the first meal in the Bible. And that moment is heavy with significance. And the first meal you'll find in Genesis 3, where it tells us that Eve took some of the forbidden fruit, which looked so very good and tasty, and ate it. And then she gave some to Adam, and he ate it. And then their eyes were opened, and they realised they were naked. 
And death itself was traced back to that moment of rebellion, which we now know of as the fall. And the whole of creation was subjected to decay, futility, and sorrow. Echoing this, Luke now describes the first meal of the new creation. Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they recognized him. And they begin to discover that the long curse has been broken. Death itself has been defeated. God's new creation, brimming with life and joy and new possibilities, has burst in upon the world of decay and sorrow. Jesus himself, risen from the dead, is the beginning and the sign of this new world. And one of the things that strikes me about this lovely story is that Luke tells us about their eyes. On the road to begin with, their eyes are downcast and they are kept from recognizing Jesus. Then at the breaking of the bread, their eyes are opened and they do recognize him. And by God's grace, Jesus reveals himself to us in different ways and at different times. To those first disciples, it was in the everyday and in the unexpected. It was in a garden, on a walk, and later on a beach. And is this and this, for all of us, will be an ongoing process in our walk with him. One such experience I had a few years ago was when I was taking a funeral. The church at All Saints was packed with nearly 300 people, none of whom I knew. The only person I had met before the funeral was the widow. And the person whose funeral it was had been a very keen biker. And so the church was packed with these burly blokes in their leathers, parking their crash hats, and it had quite an interesting ambience. And into this daunting environment, I spoke the words of the collect from the funeral service, which included these words. Renew our trust in your son, whom you raised from the dead. Strengthen our faith that all who have died in the love of Christ will share in his resurrection. And I can remember, and I can still remember it now, it had such an impact on me, thinking there and then that the only way I can stand here in front of all these people and say this with integrity, is that it's true. It's not some pious hope to comfort people in their grief. It's absolute, concrete truth. And although from the moment I had become a Christian, I had believed this, the truth and the reality 
of the resurrection had a deeper and more profound reality for me and on that day. As I knew in the very depths of my being that it was true and could fully echo these words of Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. For Cleopas and his companion, for the disciples in the upper room, for us as individuals and as a church fellowship, God wants to enlarge our vision of who Jesus is and to know in our experience the truth of these words from Colossians that Paul writes. They'll be very familiar, I'm sure, but it's always worth remembering them because it tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so as the Spirit takes the words of Scripture and applies them to our lives, these words can become a living reality and that our hearts will burn with excitement and anticipation as they did for those two on the Emmaus Road. And there you will note they encountered Jesus, not only in the Scripture, but also in the breaking of the bread. And we too can meet with him when we receive the broken bread at communion, as we will be doing shortly. And as we recall his sacrifice for us and give thanks for his victory. Susanna, John Wesley's mother, had a very similar experience. One day when the words of administration at communion were spoken, she was moved to say, the word struck through my heart and I knew that God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven me all my sins. So let each one of us now rejoice that like the disciples on the Emmaus Road and the disciples in the upper room, that we might know the power of the risen Christ and the power of his resurrection and live our lives in the knowledge and power of all that he's accomplished for us. So my prayer for this, this morning is, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see more and more of your glory. So let us join together in worship as we sing, open the eyes of my heart. Amen.